Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you get to the show, make sure you check out theringer.com for our extensive NBA playoff coverage leading up to the NBA Finals. Also look out for a 2019 NBA Draft Guide, which now features 50 of Kevin O'Connor's scouting reports. The Draft Guide has a first-round mock draft, big board rankings from our draft experts like Jonathan Charks and Danny Chow, and much more to come leading up to the draft itself on June 20th. Once again, check out the Ringer's 2019 NBA Draft Guide and all of our NBA coverage over on theringer.com. Hello, and welcome to Game of Thrones Precapables, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we preview the Thrones episode to come, and for the final time, we're going to break down what to expect because this Sunday is the finale, Season 8, Episode 6. I'm Zach Cram, and joining me as he mourns the death of Cersei, whom just last week he called the Great Queen for Westeros, it's Riley McAtee. I'm being misrepresented here yet again. I said that peace and Cersei is better than war and anyone else. I I just want to specify for everyone. (laughs) Cersei only set fire to the Sept of Baelor. Danny set fire to the whole city. So she's better in that respect. All right, let's start with next on Game of Thrones. First, there are some new logistics for Season 8, Episode 6. It's going to be 80 minutes long in the same range as the other episodes toward the back half of the season. But this episode is directed by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the two showrunners who have never officially directed the same episode before, who basically have no directing experience pre-Game of Thrones. They do have a little bit of experience on this own show, but that's kind of new. Yeah, so Benioff and Weiss have each directed one episode. Uh, David Benioff directed episode three of season three, Walk of Punishment. That is the episode where Daenerys first kind of negotiates with Crazy Kraz, the Unsullied owner. She frees Missandei. They do Hoster Tully's funeral at River Run. Mance and John see the spiral horse carcasses on the fist of the first men. But the biggest moment of this episode is Jamie loses his hands. So that was a Benioff episode. D.B. Weiss directed episode one of season four, Two Swords. That had the very cool cold open where ice is reforged into what would become Oathkeeper and Widow's Whale. Oberyn is introduced in this episode. And we get the Arya and the Hound chickens scene that's such a classic And we kind of get Drogon snarling at Daenerys and her starting to lose control of her dragons. Probably one of the better premiere episodes, to be honest. Yeah, I really like Two Swords. I think Walk of Punishment, there's the Jaime losing his hand moment, which is the most memorable part. I think that episode is more of just a run-of-the-mill, the seasons moving along episode. Two Swords is one of my favorites. Yeah. So that's interesting. I'm not sure if that means anything heading into the finale, but they don't have that much directing experience, but at least their previous efforts haven't been abominations. Sure, yeah. I think it's also notable that both of these episodes were working closely with material that George R. R. Martin had written. So this episode, which they're both directing, which is new, is based on completely new material that they wrote. So that's a whole different animal. And it's very secretive. Uh, The preseason Entertainment Weekly feature that we've mentioned a couple times on this podcast already had this line, quote, for the finale, secrecy was ratcheted up to another level. 
Only crew members wearing a special episode six badge were allowed on set during filming, and some scenes were shot on a closed set. We've also heard rumors that they distributed fake pages for the last episode, that they even filmed, perhaps, things that aren't actually going to appear in this episode just to try and confuse things. So we're still going to make predictions. We're still going to talk about what we expect, and there are certainly clues for us to dig into. But it seems like there's a lot of secrecy surrounding this episode specifically. And that kind of makes sense, given that it's the last episode of the show. Yeah, I mean, I want to go into it not knowing what's going to happen. So I think that I have absolutely no clue. And the trailer doesn't give us that much. It's one of the shorter trailers we've seen in season eight. Just like last week, there's once again no dialogue. And we basically just see a few characters and their reactions. We don't even really see their faces last week. On this podcast, we were able to analyze correctly some of what was happening based on Cersei's facial expression, Euron's facial expression. We don't even have that this time. We see John and Davos surveying the carnage in King's Landing, but kind of obscured by the smoke. We see Tyrion once again looking concerned. I don't think it's really a surprise that any of these characters survived the destruction because no named character at this point is going to die off screen. And then Arya looks on at the Unsullied and Dothraki We do see her face. She looks kind of as a continuation of how she finished last episode, disturbed by what's going on. If there's a key moment from this trailer, I think that's it. Yeah, I agree. I think that the way that they placed Arya in the middle of the destruction and the way that they kept the camera on her for so long was really interesting to me. We'll talk about Arya a little more later, but she has just so long been an avatar for death and an assassin and a killer. And it felt like there might have been a little bit of a turn in the last episode, particularly with her conversation with the Hound, where she turns away from pursuing Cersei and kind of sees all of this horror. And I wonder if there will be a little bit of a change in her character in the final episode. I do think, though, that Arya hasn't just been an avatar for death. She's also in large segments of the show, been an avatar for the audience. Like when Ned Stark is beheaded, she's the character in the crowd who's looking on. When we learn about the horrors going on at Hall, Arya Stark is the character there through whose eyes we see the spectacle. So Arya is the audience character once again last episode. She's the one running through the streets and seeing all the frightened small folk. I think that is an important point when we talk about Arya's character changing, she's always sort of embodied that kind of audience participatory character. Even this season too, when uh, Jon and Daenerys arrive in King's Landing, Mm -hmm. she's the one in the crowd. Moving on in the teaser, the next shot is of the Dothraki celebrating, you know, a great victory for them. And then we get Daenerys emerging. She's got Unsullied flanking her on each side, a sizable number of Unsullied. And she's looking out, and the city is still burning. And it's a very, not that subtle shot. Daenerys is wearing the all black that she wore in the battle, and the Unsullied are in their dark colors as well. And it really feels evil. And we don't see her face. We don't see her face. We see the back of her, and we see she's got a lot of braids in her hair. It looks like she may have gotten her, you know, another braid added for another victory in the Dothraki tradition. There was a lot of discussion after episode five about what it meant that we didn't see Danny basically at all after she made the decision to slaughter the entire city after the bells rang. We see her face harden, and she flies off with Drogon, and from that point on, we don't see her face. I actually kind of like that from a symbolic perspective. She was the dragon at that point. That was her emotional state. We didn't need to know anything more, and as the showrunners 
discussed on the Inside the Episode segment, they really wanted to center the victim's experiences in that moment and not the perpetrator's experiences in that moment. You made a really good point on the night of, too, where you said that Daenerys essentially just became the dragon. Right. And I think that was important in the moment. But now that that moment is over, I'm really curious to see what happens next. Does Danny think that she has succeeded in her goal? How will she react when people like Jon Snow ask her why she did what she did? Will she think she needs redemption or forgiveness? Or is she so hardened at this point that she thinks what she did is right and is perfectly fine for a ruler in the tradition of Westerosi rulers? We don't have that many more other clues in this trailer, but there are a bunch of big questions to answer. Danny being the first one. Before the season began, we at The Ringer had a written series of more than 40 pieces in which we identified what we called the loose ends from the series, sort of the questions we wanted the show to wrap up to feel a true sense of finality and closure. Obviously, a lot of those haven't been and never will be answered in the show. Apologies to all the Quaith fans out there. But there are still some central questions we think the show absolutely, definitely 100% needs to answer this week. So in this segment, we wanted to touch on them a bit. First question about Danny: does she die this week? I don't think there's any way that she doesn't. I know that this show is often about subverting expectations. I know that we don't expect a happy ending, as Ramsey so famously told us. But having Daenerys, after she has gone through a full villain turn, she's a full-on villain now, rule in the end and win in the end would be too dark even for Thrones. That's like Voldemort winning. That's like Sauron winning. Daenerys has to die in this episode. In the vein of subverting expectations, people might think, oh, well, everyone expects Daenerys to die now, so it would be subverting expectations to make her live. But take a step back. From the broader narrative of the show, Danny has been built since the first episode of the series as one of the two twin heroes. It's her and John. She was framed in so many heroic poses and lights all throughout her conquering of Essos. She came to Westeros at the end of season six. That was the heroic, all right, the show's moving forward moment. So even if in the moment now we expect Danny to die from the broader timeline of the show, it would be subverting expectations to kill that character at the end. So I think that's destined to happen. And the thing with subverting expectations is it has to serve a narrative point, right? Danny turning into the Mad Queen serves a point. Her living and winning and being a tyrant in the end doesn't. The next question that results from this is kind of a spinoff. When do we think Daenerys dies? The final episode is 80 minutes. There's a lot to get to. We have to resolve the fallout from episode five. We have to figure out who's ruling and what the governmental system of Westeros looks like. We have to figure out send-offs for all the various characters we haven't sent off yet. Is there enough time for the Danny stuff to linger throughout most of the episode? I mean, I don't think so. I think if I'm putting a, a bet on when she dies, I think it's right around minute 40, right at the halfway point, maybe even a little bit earlier. Um, I just think that after the destruction, someone in her camp will turn on her sooner rather than later and essentially will assassinate her, uh, is my theory. And the show just needs a lot of time to answer everything you're saying. Once Danny is dead, the question is, now what? And there needs to be time to answer that. And this is where I think the rushed pacing of the endgame is kind of disappointing because I probably agree with you that they're going to end up killing her earlier, but it would be so strange for... Remember, episode three, she helps defeat the army of the dead. Episode four, 
she's angry at the end of it, but it's not like she's committed any acts of extreme villainy at that point. So it would basically be taking her in the span of one and a half episodes tops all the way over to the dark side and killing her. That seems too quick. So I wonder, even with all of those fallout questions still to answer, if the Danny parts don't linger until the second half of the episode, because I don't think John is going to kill her right away. I think there have to be conversations had. There have to be rationalizations and reckonings first. And I think that would linger. I think given the shot we see of her in the trailer, stepping out in front of her unsullied, she might try ruling for a bit before anything happens. And it would be almost more tragic if she ends up sitting the throne, but only momentarily. I think it, even though it would make more sense to kill her off early and then leave more time for the rest of it later, there's a gut feeling I have that it might end up lasting. That's interesting. I just wonder how they would answer all the questions. I do agree with you, though. I feel like especially once we get to a point where we're rewatching this show, the pacing is unbelievably fast. There's a whole recut version of this season where something like Tyrion freeing Jamie last episode, which happened maybe 20 minutes in, could be the end of an entire episode. It feels to me like the way that I would naturally cut this story if I were doing it would be that Daenerys would die at the end of one episode and then you'd have another episode that deals with the fallout of all of that. I completely agree. And having it all happen in one episode is unbelievable. These are like natural huge cliffhangers to end episodes on and they're just whipping through them three at a time in an episode. It's, it's really something else. It occurs to me, I offhandedly mentioned if John kills her, we're not so sure that John is going to be the one who kills her. That leads to the next question. What does John do? Last episode, he committed to Danny when Varys approached him after he arrived on Dragonstone. Varys said, you should take over. She is a Targaryen. Who knows what will happen? And John said, no, she is my queen. But then the slaughter began and John was obviously concerned. He ended up fighting against some of his own troops because they were carrying out war crimes and he couldn't abide by that. I can't see him still standing by Daenerys' side at this point, but I'm not sure if that means he's the one who ends up killing her. George R. R. Martin gave a quote that I've referenced a bunch in my written work this season that the battle that he finds most interesting is fought in the human heart. John is fighting a battle inside his heart now, and I think that would be the most natural conclusion. But we also saw a lot of Arya last episode, and there would be something symbolic about Arya, who killed the Night King, then killing Danny, allowing her to kill off both ice and fire. That is really symbolic. I, I was convinced that it would be Arya immediately after Sunday's episode, but now I'm leaning more toward that I think John will kill Daenerys. He's been actually oddly sidelined this season when you think about it. He didn't have a ton to do in the battle for Winterfell. He didn't have a ton to do in this last episode. He spent a lot of time telling Daenerys how she's his queen and he loves her and he doesn't want the throne, but he hasn't done a hell of a lot else. And so I feel like him being the one to finally break off from her and kill her makes a lot of sense to me. I also have spent time thinking about how even though Jon is not a member of the Night's Watch anymore, he did once swear a vow to protect the realms of men. And he has mostly lived up to that even after leaving the Night's Watch, right? He's the one who leads the fight against the Night King and the White Walkers. And he does it to protect the many of the very people that Daenerys just burned. So I think that he will return to those vows in some way this episode symbolically. And 
ultimately be the one that has to kill Daenerys for the greater good. Do you think there are any other possibilities like Tyrion could become the Queen Slayer after his brother was the King Slayer? Uh, anything like that? Or are John and Arya really the two main possibilities? There's always a chance. I, I think with Tyrion, I don't think Daenerys will ever let Tyrion anywhere near her again. In fact, I think it's likely that Daenerys could even have Tyrion executed in this episode, as we said one or two podcasts ago, um, because she will find out that he freed Jamie. And that is a betrayal. And she said that the next time Tyrion failed her would be the last time he fails her. So I just don't know who else will have the opportunity. It has to be somebody who can get close to her. It's not like you're going to defeat her in battle. I don't think that there'll be a battle this episode. And so that comes down to John as her romantic partner somewhat. And, you know, as her kind of key ally or Arya with her faceless man assassin skills. And... I just see few others getting close enough to do the deed. The last central question we want to discuss in this segment of the show is, what is this story about? I've been struggling with this question for weeks, and I think it looms over all the others we just asked, because the questions of who sits the throne, how do John and Daenerys interact, how does the series end? The larger question in my mind is what each of these resolutions will say about this world and this story. We seem headed for really nihilistic ending. I wrote about that this week, that Daenerys's turn, Jamie's turn from Brienne back to Cersei, all of the pieces from season eight have hinted toward a tragic ending, whereas George R. R. Martin has always said his series was going to end in a bittersweet fashion. That's kind of vague, of course, but we seem headed for a lot more bitter than sweet, and I don't really see a way out of that if Danny's not going to die into the last episode, and if someone like John is going to be the one who has to do it, there's not really any sweetness there. I'm really unsure where the show is headed, but it has me concerned about what the ultimate message and moral of the story will be, because it's been giving lessons all series long, and it could end on a pretty somber note. Yeah, I think it will ultimately be bittersweet at best, let's say, maybe even tragic. I mean, I think Part of this is that I feel that Benioff and Weiss are less concerned with thematic consistency and more concerned with big moments and the spectacle and everything else that drives things that are legitimately very cool about this show. But something like Jamie going back to Cersei is totally antithetical to John then turning on Daenerys. It kind of means that the show as a whole maybe is on one hand, presenting multiple themes, which could be complex, nuanced, and interesting, or is just getting muddled thematically. I agree. Muddled is the word I was thinking of, too. Let's move on to the theory of the week. For this section, it's not really a theory we're going to discuss, more of just focusing on one of those questions even more. And that's what happens to the throne. The show is called The Game of Thrones. The credits for season eight have ended on a shot of the Iron Throne in King's Landing. What happens to it? And first, what happens to the center of power physically in Westeros? I think there are a couple options, right? It could stay where it is if the Iron Throne somehow survived Danny's assault on King's Landing. It could have been destroyed, or it could be moved if King's Landing, they realize, is unsalvageable, especially if Daenerys is no longer ruling and it's not a Targaryen in charge. Maybe they move it. I'm not sure which of these options is the favorite. What do you think? My favorite is that it's destroyed or otherwise just disposed of in some way. I think 
Aegon the Conqueror's Targaryen dy- dynasty is at a complete end at this point, even if John is to take the crown, um, I just don't know if the throne really has a place. So physically, I feel like I I actually expect more for there to be independent kingdoms or some kind of council that presides over Westeros, but not really a central monarchy anymore. I have a sneaking suspicion that they might end up moving the capital city to Winterfell. That'd be weird. I would have a lot of problems with that. One being that this the politics of the series have always been, first and foremost, King's Landing is the capital, not just because Aegon landed there, but because it is an advantageous geographic city. Whereas Winterfell has no water access. It's not centrally located. It's in the north. I think there would be a lot of problems if they move there, but I kind of have a, se- a sneaking suspicion they do because it's not like there are any really remaining characters who consider King's Landing a home. I mean, that would fit well with my idea presented last episode that Sansa could win the throne. Exactly. Because the the biggest problem probably with that theory is that I don't think Sansa wants anything to do with anything South ever again. Yeah, and I think she's one of the favorites for who sits the throne. Let's run through those candidates as we figure out not just where the throne will be, but who will be seating it. First choice, who you mentioned is Sansa, who I wouldn't consider the odds on favorite at this point, but is a pretty good choice given that of all the remaining candidates, she has exhibited ruling prowess. She has people who love and support and respect her. She has an, a seat of power at this point. What do you think are the chances that she ends up ruling and what would be the disadvantages? So if there's any single person that I think could end up on the throne at the end of the series, I would pick Sansa. I just think that she has the right combination of political know-how and cunning with empathy and actual caring about people. Part of the problem is, as we said, she probably does not want to go south to King's Landing again. She has talked about how Starks do not fare well when they go south. I really think that she's more concerned with an independent north and protecting her home than anything else. I don't know if she necessarily desires to rule. And then just from a storytelling perspective, I think that if the end result of this season was that Sansa was going to sit the throne, even though they have done work to portray her as intelligent and competent this season, I think they would have made her a little more tactful, a little more just likable, a little less antagonistic toward characters like Danny and John. Because I feel like if she were to end up on the throne at the end, that would be very polarizing for a lot of people. And it would have been easy to make her dialogue this season just a little less cold the way that it has been. I think it would bring her arc to a really satisfying conclusion, though, because back in season one, the difference between Arya and Arya's sister was that Sansa believed in the ideas of lords and ladies. She wanted to marry Joffrey and be the queen, but not the queen to rule, the queen to supply Joffrey babies and live in the capital. It would be really cool if that idea is almost turned on its head where she rejects the notion that she's going to bear anyone else a child and she's the queen just for herself. I think that would be a pretty powerful message at the end. Also, it would be kind of neat if Arya saves everyone by killing the Night King and maybe killing Danny, and then that allows Sansa to take over. There'd be a good sisterly bond there. So I think if anyone's likely to sit the throne, Sansa's a pretty good choice. What about John? Yeah, I mean, he's the obvious choice, right? He is literally the heir to the Iron Throne, the rightful heir. Um, people are gravitated toward him as they've shown in this season. Um, people like him. They want him to lead. They want him to rule. I don't know, though. I think 
you know, when he says he doesn't want it, I think he really doesn't want it. You know, they've presented in the show to this point the idea that a king who doesn't want to be king might actually be the best leader of all of them. But I think that John just won't accept the crown in any way. What do you think? The counterpoint to that, of course, is that John didn't want to be Lord's Commander of the Night's Watch. And then when people told him he should be, he said, okay, I'll be Lord's Commander. Then he didn't want to be King of the North. And after people told him to be King of the North, he said, okay, I'll be King. So he has a history of doing that sort of thing. On the other hand, if the series ends with John taking over, first of all, it would support the idea of a hereditary genetic dynasty, which I think it's steering away from. And second, I just can't imagine them successfully pivoting from his love dying in this episode to John taking the throne. George R. R. Martin has talked about how one of the things that interested him in writing this series in the first place was that in Lord of the Rings, the you know spoilers for Lord of the Rings, but it ends and then Aragorn becomes king and George R. R. Martin wonders, okay, but just because he's a good man, that doesn't mean he's a good king. What were his tax policies, et cetera, et cetera. If the series ends like that, that's putting the realm in a really precarious position because John would probably not be in the right emotional state to rule. And I don't see them ending it that way. There's also uh, a lot of evidence at this point that even though people are drawn to John, he might not actually be a good leader or king. He does get stabbed by his Night's Watch brothers. He, you know, is basically on the losing side of multiple battles before he's saved at the end. And he's just like not very good at reading a room and playing politics or really doing any of that stuff. I don't know that John would be good at king. I agree. Next up, someone we can probably agree wouldn't make a good ruler, but is still a candidate is Daenerys, who we've been talking about as as doomed. And she's not dead yet. She is probably going to assert her queenship at the beginning of this episode. Is there a chance she ends up as the ruler at the end of the series? Tyrion once told Daenerys in season seven that talking about Cersei, fear is all Cersei has. It's all my father had. It's all Joffrey had. It makes their power brittle because everyone beneath them wants to see them dead. And yet Daenerys in the last episode claimed how she intends to rule, which was let it be fear. I think at this point, Daenerys's power is very, very brittle. And I do not think the show will end on the note of her ruling with that power. Although it occurs to me that maybe Daenerys succeeded and she wanted to break the wheel and she so totally ruined her own chance at the throne and destroyed King's Landing that maybe the Iron Throne will move locations and it will change the entire governmental system of Westeros. So good job, Danny. It worked out in the end. Next up is Tyrion. Is there any chance that Tyrion, who basically led King's Landing when he was the hand of the king, who basically led Marine? When Danny was off in the Dothraki Sea, is there a chance he assumes control? One of the things about Tyrion is that the Westerosi realm doesn't know any of that stuff about him. They think that he is the little monster dwarf who murdered Joffrey, murdered Tywin, and then ran off to help the queen who ended up burning King's Landing. I think he'd face significant obstacles to becoming king. And he also as we've discussed before, has been taking a lot of losses recently. Hasn't had a smart strategic move in a while. I think Tyrion's arc is perhaps the most perplexing to me. Like I have an idea of where Danny might end up. I have an idea of where John might end up. I have an idea of where Sansa and Arya might end up. 
I have no idea about Tyrion because he's kind of been plodding along for a while, affirming his belief in Daenerys, but not actually believing in it. Obviously, last episode looks like the final straw for him, but I don't know where that leaves him because unlike John, he's not really able to do anything about that physically. If I had to guess, I think that it will be Daenerys executes Tyrion in this episode and he becomes kind of the final tragic figure of Daenerys's Mad Queen turn. And then in turn, John or Arya or somebody else ends up killing Daenerys. And then we deal with the fallout. Next up, Gendry. Gendry. I'm obsessed with Gendry uh, taking the throne. Gendry actually has Targaryen heritage. So uh, House Baratheon was founded by a person who is thought to be a Targaryen bastard. But the house has more recent Targaryen heritage than that. Robert Baratheon's grandmother was Rael Targaryen, herself the youngest daughter of Aegon V. And so that makes Gendry related to Daenerys and Jon. He is Daenerys's second cousin once removed. He is Jon's third cousin. And together, those three are the only three people with provable Targaryen blood. The dragon has three heads. So whether you follow the Baratheon line that Robert established at the end of his rebellion or Aerys's Targaryen line, or really Aegon the Conqueror's Targaryen line, if Daenerys dies and Jon refuses the throne, the next heir is Gendry. All lines lead back to him. So could he take the throne? I think it's possible. That would be remarkable. Gendry... I, I guess I was wrong before when I said nobody left really as a connection to King's Landing. Gendry does. That's true. There you go. Even though he, for some reason, said his bastard name was Rivers and not Waters, he's from King's Landing. And what a self-own that would be from Daenerys if she ends up legitimizing him and that allows him to end up taking the throne after. I'm not convinced just because I'm not sure if those lines really matter at this point. Yeah, to be clear, I don't think that this is happening, but it's fun to to talk about. Even Daenerys doesn't really have control of the Iron Throne right now because of her bloodline. She has control of the Iron Throne because she has armies and a dragon, and that's where this kind of runs into some funny business. Cersei didn't have any claim on the throne, but she had power, and she took it. And that's what happens in this world. So I don't think they're going to end up climbing back up a few rungs of the family tree to figure that out for Gendry, but it'd be a pretty funny result. Right. Gendry grew up in Flea Bottom. He never knew his father, Robert. He has no armies. He has no leadership experience. He's probably not even literate. So the idea that he would take the throne is an extremely tough sell, but the seeds of it are there. The last contender we'll get to is Bran Stark, who was the preseason betting favorite if you looked at Vegas odds. A lot of that, I think, was of the belief that he was connected to the Night King. That ship has sailed, but Bran Stark is still an option to lead. And I think back to episode four, where we got all that discussion about the best ruler is someone who doesn't want to rule. In that episode, Bran specifically tells Tyrion, I don't want to rule Winterfell. That's not who I am anymore. So let's go to that scenario you mentioned. Danny dies, John abdicates, they're searching for a ruler. Does Tyrion, if he's not dead, remember back to that conversation and think, hey, I know a guy and he knows everything, so why don't we pick him? Oh, uh, man. I believe he's still the betting favorite too. And I just, 
I hate this scenario so much. It feels like it really hasn't been set up in this season, in any of the past seasons. Is the best ruler someone who doesn't want the throne or someone who literally doesn't want anything? Bran <laughs> barely knows who he is. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, but given the Vegas odds, uh, gosh, it, it, it feels like it could happen, and I'm very scared about it. The thing about Bran taking control, too, isn't just that it would feel like it lacked foreshadowing. I have no idea what message that would send because they've actively avoided Bran's storyline for large parts of the show. They cut him out of an entire season. They haven't explained a lot of how his magic works. I don't know if he even has a role to play in the finale, so it would be a pretty large swing to go from that to, hey, Bran, you're in charge. He has no leadership abilities either. People barely want to talk to him. He can barely hold a conversation because he's so stuck in the past. He's supposed to preside over all of Westeros and rule. I just cannot imagine how they could make this work and make it feel satisfying. It is so bizarre to me that this seems to be the prevailing theory, the betting favorite, and everything else. Ugh, I just hate it. I hate this idea. So if none of those options come through... There is the field. I don't know if there are any individuals we haven't mentioned yet who you think have a chance. But then there's also some sort of democratic vote. There are precedents for this in Westeros, even though the actual Iron Throne has never really worked democratically. The Night's Watch has a democratic vote. That's how John became Lord Commander. The Iron Islands has the Kingsmoot tradition, which basically allows different contenders to make campaign promises and then curry favor recruit voters and that's a show of strength westeros has also had on occasion great councils where there's a dispute over does this targaryen take the throne or does this targaryen take the throne and they've assembled high lords to decide who they want to lead them that's less democratic because not everyone gets a vote it's sort of feudalistic but they still get to choose their king Do you think any of these options seem more likely than a specific individual taking the throne? I I think a version of the Grand Council, but instead of them choosing a king, them choosing to rule or preside over Westeros themselves as a group makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think that Westeros is not going to have democracy, guys. You You have to go through a lot of different steps before you can get to people voting. Most of these peasants can't even read. So I think that you could have something like Sansa represents the North, and Yara represents the Iron Islands, and you know Tyrion in the Westerlands, Sam in the Reach, Gendry in the Stormlands, and so on, and have all of these different regions represented at a Grand Council that then works together to keep peace and facilitate different governmental matters that were once dealt with centrally, but now is a system that's almost kind of like a republic. I can't believe when you were mentioning the various representatives, you forgot about the new Prince of Dorne. That absolutely, yeah. The unnamed Dornish prince. I've got them all written out right here. Uh, I think that you could have the far north with no wall anymore, represented by Tormund. You could have Edmure Tully, if wherever he is in the Riverlands. You could have Robin Aaron in the Vale, uh, Tyrion from the Westerlands. Really, the one I struggle with is who takes over the Crownlands. Perhaps John. He's kind of the only person I have there. There's no one else with like a good connection there that isn't already taken up somewhere else. But It is interesting to me that so many of these regions seem to have one person that represents them. And I think that that would then represent a breaking of the wheel, as we've talked about, in a way that really makes sense. Davos could take the the Crownlands. He hasn't lived in King's Landing for years, but that's where he hails from. He was the son of a crabber, become the equivalent of a senator. That would be a 
pretty good rise for him. I think the independent kingdoms idea probably makes the most sense. I wish, like we talked about earlier, if they were to come to that conclusion, it wouldn't happen right at the end because I'm kind of curious to see how that works. And I can't imagine they'll have too much time to dive into the inner workings of that new system yet. But I could see someone like Tyrion coming up with this system. Maybe Sam finds something about that in his books. And that seems a pretty reasonable solution to me. To this overarching question, who wins the Game of Thrones? It could be a bunch of people at once. And that, and I didn't mention Bran among all of those people, but I could see Bran having a big role on a council like this as the person who sees everything. And maybe that's where those odds come from. As we've said, episode six has been so secretive. Perhaps something got out there about Bran playing a major role in the endgame, the post Game of Thrones Westeros, but not as king, perhaps as like the person who presides over the council that in turn presides over Westeros. Let's move on to the next segment, which is keys to the game, where we each pick specific person or people who will be crucial this next episode and three reasons why. Riley, who is your key player? So uh, we've already talked about him quite a bit, but it's Jon Snow. Uh, you may have heard that he's actually the heir to the Iron Throne. All of Westeros will probably hear soon because I think that Varys got a lot of those letters away in the last episode. And so Daenerys will have to deal with an entire realm that knows that Jon is the rightful heir, whether that even matters anymore. And Jon will also have to deal with it. How will he act if everybody knows what his family role is supposed to be? We've talked about how he will deal with Daenerys and whether he will be able to stand by her as she committed such an atrocity or whether he will remember that his duty is to the realm. He is you know, a truly empathetic person who cares about everyone and whether he will turn on her or not turn on her. And finally, John's story, as we said, hasn't progressed a whole lot this season. He rode a dragon that kind of didn't have a big impact on him. Dragon died real fast. And I think that this will be the episode where he will play a central role. His decision regarding Daenerys, regarding the realm, the throne, Westeros, all of it will be at the heart of this episode. I'm going a little meta with my pick, but I'm allowed to do that. It's our podcast and it's the last pre-capables. So here we go. My key players are David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. First, because as we mentioned, they're directing. They said in the Entertainment Weekly feature that they did it this way because they didn't trust anyone else to execute their specific vision for the finale. And that's understandable given the stakes here, but it's also a lot of pressure on two relatively unfamiliar directors compared to like Miguel Sapochnik, who's the battle guy and directed episodes three and five this season. Number two is I think a lot of the problems that have come since they ran out of George R. Martin's material stem from they're knowing the endpoint, but not quite how to get there. They had to backfill, essentially, and that's why some of the plot choices don't make as much sense, sort of seem to be lacking direction. But if the stumbles came from the journey, we're at the end now. So theoretically, that's the part they're better prepared to show on screen. That's the part they say they have discussed with Martin. We don't know exactly how well one ending will translate to the other, if the show will directly equal the books or not. And they've said they're not going to tell us so as not to spoil the books. But I'm really curious to see if now that they have firmer ground to stand on, they're able to stick the landing a little bit better than they have thus far leading up to it. And the third reason is in that Entertainment Weekly piece, Benioff had a quote that I've been thinking about a lot ever since I went back and reread it, which is, 
a good story isn't a good story if you have a bad ending. Now, there's a lot more discussion to be had about how Sunday might change the legacy of the show, but I think it does start there. This season hasn't been an all disappointment, I don't think. Like episode two was great. I really liked elements of episode four and episode five, but this is the big one. They can't mess it up. I'm not saying like if this episode is bad, then that has to change how we think about the winds of winter and hard home and the red wedding, but it will have an impact and the directors know it will. I'm really curious what they have in store, knowing how large the stakes are, not just in the world of the show, but in the world surrounding the show too. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like this is just crucial to see if they'll stick the landing or not. Or at least it'll be fascinating to see what it was that they felt the need to work up to in the way that they did. And finally, we'll make some predictions. Our last predictions of the season, the last predictions of the series, will offer one that we think will happen and one that we want to happen amid all the other things we want to see happen this episode. Rally, what do you think is going to happen? So we've kind of already hit this quite a deal, but I think that there is no throne at the end. Westeros returns to independent kingdoms with or without a council, but some sort of system where there is much more autonomy between the different regions, and that that will mean that Danny succeeded in breaking the wheel. She did it, just not remotely in the way that she thought she would. Zach, what do you think will happen? I'm going to go very narrowly for the end of this show. I'm fascinated by how series finales fade to black, essentially, what they choose to end on, what their last line is, and that's kind of how they want to be remembered. So I have two ideas for shots that could end the series. Maybe they both will appear, but one of them is John walking off into the snow with Ghost. His departure in episode four felt really disappointing. The excuses that the director made about, oh, this CGI wouldn't really work. We felt it was more powerful this way. Falls so flat that I wonder if there's some misdirection there. Like, actually, they didn't film a heartfelt goodbye because John will see Ghost again. And his conversation with Tormund about belonging in the North, I think, could pay off in this episode. John maybe kills Daenerys, is emotionally distraught, wants to be done with power, abdicates the throne, and just wanders off with Ghost to try and rebuild up North. I think that's the end for his arc, I would predict. And then the second one is something we've talked about before, which is Sam becoming the person who writes a Game of Thrones, the story. So I think the last shot of the series would be Sam pulling out some fresh parchment, dipping his quill into some ink, and scrawling either the words A Game of Thrones or the words A Song of Ice and Fire and starting to write credits roll. And that would be the final shot of the series. I love both of those so much. I think it'll be A Song of Ice and Fire, not A Game of Thrones that he writes, but John, Sam, bookending the series would be perfect. Do you think there's any chance there's like some time jump and it's old Sam writing down his memories and old Sam is George R. R. Martin? Well, George said that he turned down a cameo in this season. That could just be misdirection. I thought that it could end that way. I, I would love if it did, but I feel like it, it actually might be hard because that becomes too meta in terms of his inability to finish A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, that would be sad. Right. It would be it would be more sad than it would be triumphant. So I think that they can't do it that way. It has to be just current Sam doing it. What do you want to happen besides perhaps George R. R. Martin appearing? Yeah. I want Arya to get a satisfying ending. 
Arya at this point is my favorite character. Her, the way that she has been written on the show this season has been, for me, by far the highlight of the season. I feel like she returned to the old Arya we knew and loved and not the no one assassin that wasn't as interesting for the last couple of seasons. And so I want her to get the conclusion that will be satisfying for her. When she was roaming the the smoking, ash-laden streets of King's Landing last episode, she looked like she was filled with purpose, as we noted. And I wonder if she decides that she doesn't want to be a killer anymore. She doesn't want to be an assassin as she turned away from that when talking with the Hound. Will she actually want to help people? Will she want to build and not destroy? I think that there are a lot of possibilities here. I really don't know what her endgame is. It's less clear than almost anyone else. She once told Lady Crane in season six, that was the actress that she was supposed to kill that season, that she wondered what is west of Westeros. That's led to a lot of speculation that maybe Arya sails west. Maybe she goes exploring. Or maybe she doesn't go west, but she goes east, back to Braavos, just anywhere other than Westeros. You know, she told the Hound when they were coming south to King, King's Landing that she didn't expect to ever return to Winterfell. And maybe she never does. More than anyone else, her place doesn't seem like it's in Westeros or in Winterfell and could be elsewhere. I just really have no idea what she'll do. She's not going to go be Gendry's lady. She's not going to go hang out with her sister. I don't know. I just hope it's satisfying, but she's the character I'm most interested in given that we seem to have no indication which way her endgame will go. And that's one of the things that fascinates me in stories is the idea of someone achieving something relatively young and then having the whole rest of their life to look forward to. Arya is, I think, what, she's supposed to be 18 or 19 at this point, and she killed the Night King, literally the biggest thing she could ever do, and now she has the rest of her life. It's the Princess Bride line. I've been in the revenge business for so long, I don't know what to do with my life anymore. And Arya, of all people, really has that question to answer. What I want to happen is... A lot more ambitious, I think, because it requires a lot more moving parts. I want an announcement about the Winds of Winter and its release date. I am sure this is not going to happen. Yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> there was a cockamamie theory this week, I believe started by the actor who played Barristan Selmy, claiming that he had heard from someone who had heard from someone that George R. R. Martin had actually finished book six and seven, and HBO was making him wait until after the show is over to release it. That's not true. George wrote a blog post this week titled Idiocy on the Internet, specifically to refute such claims. But he's been working on Winds of Winter for a while. I'm not sure if you're aware. And I think that one might be approaching soon. Even if it's not going to happen this summer, I want an update about Winds of Winter because if there's anything that this final season has shown, it's that the showrunners really missed his hand. They get a lot of grief for what's happened at the end of the series, and a lot of it is deserved, but they were good at adapting good material, and I want to return to that. Come on, George, give me an announcement, please. I do think that most of his recent updates, maybe since uh, the turn of the calendar year, have been generally positive about wins. Maybe. That's perhaps reading too much into it as wishful thinking. I know. At, the, at a certain point, you go so far down the rabbit hole and read so many tea leaves that you just run yourself in circles. We probably won't get wins until 2025. There was that thing from one or two summers ago where it seemed like he was about to make an announcement. I remember you and I started talking about, okay, which one of us is going to blog if the announcement comes? And then it was about like one of his fire and blood or wild card series. 
I think it was a wild cards one because fire and blood at, at least is a little bit exciting. Uh, well, that's it for us this time. But at the beginning of next week, we will be back for a special wrap up episode about what happened in the finale, not pre-capables, but recapable style. As always, don't forget to rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to read all of our written coverage this week. Riley wrote about who might rule Westeros in the end, and I wrote about the show's ultimate message. We also had pieces about Harry Strickland rest in peace, Yara Greyjoy, and more. And of course, tune in to Talk the Thrones with Mal, Jason, and Chris, live on Twitter on Sunday after the episode airs for instant analysis about the finale. We'll be back next week, but until then, enjoy the episode. It's the last from Game of Thrones. What more do we need to say? Bye.